DiscerningHearts.com, in cooperation with the Archdiocese of Omaha, presents Is Jesus Calling You? A Spiritual Guide for Discerning Your Vocational Call with Father Paul Hazing. Father Hazing is a priest of the Archdiocese of Omaha. He has served as a director of Catholic Campus Ministry, a director of the Office of Vocations, and has been a trusted spiritual director for the Institute for Priestly Formation. Father Hazing currently serves as the Dean of Seminarians and Director of Human Formation for Kenrick Glennon Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri. Is Jesus Calling You? A Spiritual Guide to Discerning Your Vocational Call with Father Paul Hazing. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. This is the final segment on this series on Is Jesus Calling You to Be a Catholic Priest? That's right. Can we go back and summarize, essentially, what we've learned so far? Surely, the first lesson being, of course, you must encounter Jesus Christ. You must encounter him in prayer. Secondly, then, to desire what God desires for you. So in that encounter, matching your desire with him. Thirdly, trusting God, as the disciples had to do throughout their lives, especially in the example given in this Manual, this example of Peter walking out onto the water and keeping his eyes fixed on Jesus, trusting him and not putting his eyes on the storm that surrounds him. Fourthly, and this is important, it takes time to discern. It's not going to be a a red-letter message that comes to you overnight, uh, a delivered uh, envelope that comes in a week, but it takes time to allow God to speak to your heart and find that peace, which is the fifth lesson. Your peace is found in Jesus Christ. And so encountering Jesus Christ, and then willing what He wills, trusting in Him, over a period of time, you find peace. And it will always be found in Him. This is the standard of Jesus Christ. This is the standard of His army. It's peace. The other standard, the standard of Satan, is fear. And that's the sixth lesson. Your fear is from the Spirit against Christ. And so the experience of fear that we might have around a decision uh, as we consider it, the experience of fear going in a certain direction, this is not the Spirit of God. And so to return then in the seventh lesson, God's will is found in your will when you are in Christ. And so when your will is at peace in Him, you find that your will is in Him and this is where conversion really uh, takes place in that seventh lesson, your, your will being conformed to His. And when it's being conformed to His, your will is found in His will. And so as your thoughts and feelings and desires come up in Christ, those are the thoughts and feelings and desires that will bring you peace in Christ. Which in the eighth lesson, it goes back to, if your thoughts and feelings and desires are bringing about lots of fear, that's the will of the Spirit against Him. And so to be aware of that and resist those thoughts, feelings, and desires that really are not coming from him at all, but coming from uh, the spirit against him. Satan can introduce those. Our own egoism can introduce those. The world can introduce those fears. And so to be aware of those and, and resist them. And the ninth lesson is really important. Once one is convicted that they are being led in a certain direction, and they're being convicted of that during a, a period of consolation and, and nearness to him. 
in that consistency of the consolation, we must stand firm in faith. That's the ninth lesson, to stand firm in faith in what you have received from God. Having received in Christ all of that peace and all of that direction around a particular decision, in faith we say, yes, Lord, and stand firm in that. Even when desolation comes, even when that fear comes, even when the storm starts to well up again, we stand firm in Him, keep our eyes fixed on Him. Going back to those other lessons, really going back and repeating, trust, it takes time. Your will is in His will. And so, repeating those in a sense, going back to the beginning, encountering Him. And finally, for one discerning a vocation to the priesthood of religious life, remember this, the tenth lesson. Jesus speaks to you through the church. And so, you will be listening to Jesus, but the church, his bride, is always listening to Jesus. And so those entrusted with some authority over you, either your vocation director, your spiritual director, your seminary rector, uh, those who are in discernment, especially in the seminary, they're also listening. And if they see the vocation flourishing in you, the qualities for the vocation flourishing in you, to listen to them. The, the church is speaking to you because Jesus is always informing his bride, the church, and those members who are entrusted with your care as your superiors or your authoritative spiritual directors. And so to be listening very carefully to them too, listening to others in the church. And so the bishop too, obviously, in the case of priesthood and religious life, would be very important in this. This has been broken down into 10 separate lessons, but that can even be reduced into the simple understanding of what it is to have a relationship. Mm-hmm. And in essence, the relationship with Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. To, to love, to listen, to trust. Those mm-hmm. are all things we do in a relationship, isn't it? It's all about relationship, as we like to say. And as Monsignor Dunn has so often said, it's all about relationship. And what would transpire in any really deep friendship will, di- will transpire in these lessons And we'll go through periods of disillusionment in some of our relationships. And we'll go through periods of of not knowing what's coming next in the relationship, but trusting fundamentally in the other. This is going to be a relationship that will last. This is a marriage relationship. There must be trust in the end. Uh, The relationship with Christ and his church, we can always trust because he's, he's called us to himself. And he is faithful. In relationship, there has to be conversation, there has to be activity, there has to be interaction, doesn't there? Mm -hmm. And in the last part of the booklet, under a section called What to Do Now, it really is the fostering those actions of the relationship, isn't it? That's right. Just as you would have certain activities you do with your friends and certain activities you do every day with your spouse, these are the activities you would want to find yourself in in order to engage these ten spiritual principles. And so the ten what-to-dos are are right here. And the first one, right off the bat, that we can't ignore and we must, really it's the heart of the matter because it's Jesus, it's receiving Jesus, is go to Mass. Number one, go to Mass. If possible, daily Mass. And so anyone who is engaging in active discernment, the Mass really should be the heart of one's day, as Cardinal Cushing would say. 
that the Mass isn't just part of the day, it's the heart of the day. And so daily Mass becomes such an integral part of that encounter with Christ, the first step in this lesson. And so the Eucharist is truly and really Jesus. I truly and really encounter him, his full presence here in the Mass. And so after receiving Jesus Christ in Holy Communion, we enjoy his presence and and there we can share our burdens with him in that intimacy. And there we can, we can give him permission to do with us what he will. And what he wills will lead us in our discernment. Whatever is in the way, however, obstacles, the second part would, would obviously be confession. If there's sin in the way, if there's a habit of sin in the way, to be going to confession on a regular basis. Weekly confession is a is often recommended for someone who's starting out in discernment if they haven't practiced it or they've casually practiced maybe once a month or four times a year. Sometimes weekly confession is introduced as a way of heightening one's awareness, not just of sin, but as to where we're resisting the grace of God, where God is laboring to reach our hearts. And so confession isn't just a a matter of scrutinizing ourselves, but opening ourselves more and more through that sacrament of reconciliation, opening ourselves to God's will. And if it's been a long time since you've been to confession or you're not sure about the practice of it, you know, try to talk to a priest and, and go to a priest consistently, the, the same one, so there can be a relationship building there. Which would lead to the other recommendation is talk to a priest. And mm-hmm. they say, you know, if someone has themself as their own spiritual director, they have a very poor spiritual director. We need to have someone else direct us to look in on our relationship with God. Father, if I could, Mm -hmm. those first four, go to Mass, if possible, daily Mass. The second, sacrament of confession. The Mm -hmm. third, daily prayer. Mm -hmm. The fourth, talk to a priest. The power of the Mass is one of transformation, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And that's what, what it is to be a Eucharistic people. Mm-hmm. And as we're being transformed, then it makes sense as we're, this transformation is taking place that we would need reconciliation because we're dying mm-hmm. to our old habits and our own sins. Mm-hmm. And then that frequent, daily, ongoing prayer and that need for counsel, it, it's all a part of that package, not just for someone who is discerning a role in whether or not it's the vocation of the priesthood, but just in whatever it is that God is calling us to. If you don't have those four things happening to help guide you, you can really get kind of off kilter, couldn't you? We can start to be willful doing our own thing. And that seventh lesson of God's will is found in your will when you are in Christ. This happens in the transformation. When you are transformed and conformed in Christ, then it isn't, discernment isn't about figuring out a puzzle. It's not about uh, coming to some sort of conclusion about the enigma of who I am, but it's about listening to the one who has entered your life and continues to enter your life through these means, through these sacramental means, confession, mass, and daily prayer. And in these ways, it it doesn't become a matter of us uh, on some sort of inward journey, but us looking out to the one who is meeting us consistently in this sacramental way in the church. And that's just a a critical part of discernment. Otherwise, it does become navel-gazing, and Mm -hmm. it does become 
uh, a willfulness on our part, and that's very confusing. We'll start to say things like, I need to find myself and take a vacation to Alaska or something like that. Mm-hmm. Not that Alaska is a bad place, but we need to be consistent in this life of prayer with the Mass at the heart of it. And we're taught in the fifth step to read the Gospels, which mm-hmm. is really our Lord speaking to us. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we are sitting at the foot of the Master when we take the Gospels in, uh, hopefully daily. Mm-hmm. Jesus is the Word of God, and we meet him in that Word, in that Scripture. And those four Gospels give us his life, uh, which we must be attuned to, like Mary. Uh, she is so attenuated to the heart of Christ. We really take the position of Mary as we read Scripture. We become attuned to the heart of her Son. And when we read Scripture, we're entering the way of prayer that's most often recommended in these spiritual lessons, and that's the way of Lexio Divina, having a discursive meditation wherein you enter into the scene of the Gospels because the Gospels are so rich in those scenes with Jesus. Where am I in that scene? Am I an apostle? Am I a bystander? Am I one needing healing? And then the words of the gospel are no longer words on a page, but something that we experience in the imagination and the affection of our prayer. And so entering into prayer through scripture allows this whole person, personal attentiveness to him who wants to speak to us. And the scripture is alive with him. And it leads us directly to him. There's a reason we bring the Gospels into Mass held high by the deacon and process with that Gospel held high during the Mass because it is that point of encounter with him in the narrative of Scripture. And so to be reading the Gospels consistently and regularly allows us to be familiar with his life and really familiar with his heart, as Mary was. We'll return to Is Jesus Calling You with Father Paul Hazing in just a moment. Did you know that you can obtain a free app which contains all your favorite Discerning Hearts programs? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Archbishop George Lucas, Father Mauritius Fildi, and so many more, including episodes from Inside the Pages can be obtained on the Discerning Hearts free app. This also includes all the novenas and devotionals and prayers, including the Holy Rosary and Stations of the Cross, the Chaplet of St. Michael, and the Seven Sorrows of Our Lady, all available on the Discerning Hearts free app. Visit the iTunes and Google Play app stores to obtain your free Discerning Hearts app today. The Memorari. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly to thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. 
Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to is Jesus calling you? His father, Paul Hazen. And it's so beautiful that there is this emphasis in the importance of having a relationship with the Mother of God, with the Blessed Virgin Mary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mary was given to us as a gift from the cross. Son, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. And so... Jesus knew what he was doing in giving us Mary as our mother. We need a woman, especially young men, who live in an age in which womanhood has been so attacked and their own image of womanhood has been probably warped by the pansexual environment we're in. And to have a healthy, spiritual mother, Mary, leading us out of shame, leading us out of these warped visions of womanhood and leading us into a true manhood through that relationship of complementary, uh, really, complementarity that allows us not to be afraid of our weakness. Mary says, look, I am, I am the one who sits at the feet of Jesus and I'm at his cross showing so much strength, and yet I'm a human just like all of you. And so we don't need to be afraid of our weakness when we see a mother do that in the face of such great evil. We don't need to be afraid of our weakness when we see a mother who draws so near to sinners like those apostles. And it was such a brilliant scene in the Passion of the Christ when Peter kneels at the feet of Mary after denying Jesus three times. And in the Aramaic of the film says, have mercy on me, a sinner. You know, and it's just, it's remarkable how Mary, as any good woman, can transform a, a thief in two seconds into a good man. So Mary does this for so many of her spiritual sons. And not just an external transformation, but an internal love principle impulse just comes alive in a man when he sees that he has a good woman in his life. And Mary is that good woman. Mm-hmm. Eucharistic adoration, a practice that is so essential, isn't it, in that Eucharistic mm-hmm. transformation? As a young seminarian, I had just entered the seminary, and our first retreat entering the seminary from, in my case, back in 1997, was given by a Monsignor Dunn. And he offered to us Eucharistic adoration as the anchor and cornerstone of our spiritual lives. This is, this is spiritual radiation. And changes will come to you by simply being at the feet of Jesus in the tabernacle. His power, I'll never forget him saying, his power emanates from the Eucharist. And like being in the sun, you don't know when you're getting tan. But 
being in the presence of Jesus, you don't know how you're being transformed and that grace is penetrating your heart by simply being devoted to him in the Eucharist. You know, I'm struck by the example of four very different people that touch the world in such profound ways, but yet, what was the source? And I'm thinking of Mother Teresa, Pope John Paul II, Archbishop Fulton Sheen, and Servant of God Dorothy Day. Mm-hmm. Four very different people, four very different charisms in how they, they went out and did what they did in the world. Mm-hmm. And yet the one thing they all had in common was that they had a devotion to the Blessed Sacrament. They spent an hour, if not more, every day before the Blessed Sacrament the, in Eucharistic adoration. Mm-hmm. And look at what they were able to do. And it's great that you mentioned those four and because they're all in the modern age. And, and people think that, well, you might have been able to do that back then. Uh, a long time ago, no, they, they they lived among us. They lived in this age. And while living this age, they said, this is essential. The hour a day, there's something very, um, in this modern age where we're so attacked from all sides to, to be distracted, to be pulled in different directions, that focusing of the person at the feet of Jesus that happens in Eucharistic adoration it just defeats all of those impulses. It defeats and, and, and subsides all of those distractions and allows us to be human before Jesus. And to be human is to be present to another person. And that's what's happening in Eucharistic adoration. We're present to the person of Jesus. In doing that, it, it makes it easier if you mm-hmm. have that presence and that relationship, you do all those things to leave it a life of virtue. Right on. And that life of virtue is not only a sign of the fruit of prayer, but also it's in leading the life of virtue, there's a continual challenge happening. There's a, a challenging of oneself, but also a seeking that will happen as we're striving to live a life of virtue. We might have great vices that we think, oh, I'll just never overcome them. We bring them to him. And, and we bring them to him so that he might look upon us and and. and we start to see ourselves through his eyes that allows us to see that he's not looking on us with condemnation, but just great tenderness, how he wants to take from us the burden that these vices bring. And when we can see ourselves through those eyes of wanting to deliver us, to save us from our burdens, he's not a God saying, no, you can't do this because it's bad for you. He's saying, yes, I want to do this for you so you can be free, so you can be joyful, and so you can allow me to work in you. A lot of people look at the life of virtue as a, a system of no's. No, you shouldn't do that. You should do this. And trying. But the life of virtue is a system of freedom. And not just a system of freedom, but really a, an opening of oneself to his own virtue. To that end, it's important to surround yourself. I think the last two are so important with spiritual reading, but also hanging around with good people. Right, they go hand in hand because books are like people. They introduce us to people. And so you start to hang around with the saints. You want to hang around with the saints? Read about them. You want to hang around with the folks and, that teach well in this age? Read their books. And so there's a number that are mentioned. You know, I believe in love by L.B. Uh, Rome, sweet Rome, for those who are near their conversion. Uh, to appreciate the church from the Hans and the Lamb's Supper also by Scott Hans. Priests for the Third Millennium, 
to hear Archbishop Timothy Dolan of New York give those conferences to the men in in uh, the seminary is to really get the the outline for priestly formation from a man who knew priestly formation really well for his years in the seminary, and then to be uh, conscience, conscientious of our knowledge of the faith and mere Christianity is one of those classic books. You know, there are some books you can read once, you got it. Some you want to read twice, you might pick something up new. But classics, you read again and again and again. And there's a depth that you keep picking up on. And that's one of those by C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity. And so hanging around good people would go hand in hand with that because they'll often introduce you to good books. Mm-hmm. And that's so true. we find people that will lead us into virtue and away from vice. I really assist all of what's happening here. A community of folks who go into adoration, a community of folks who pray together, a community of folks who will um, lead us into daily prayer, daily mass, and to share a life. Life is meant to be shared, and so to be hanging around. So great advice in those things on to what to do now, from the mass to hanging around good people. This brings us to just the basic frequently asked questions that someone may have in their mind mm-hmm. uh, when they begin to enter into thoughts of a vocation of the priesthood. And a big one mm-hmm. for many, and it's something I know that seminarians struggle with, maybe even up until the, the moment of their ordination, is celibacy. It's so misunderstood. There are three things I'd like to highlight when you look at celibacy. One is that you're practicing something that is as good as practicing malnutrition. You're not going to have this this way of life, of, of being... Uh, in communion with another person, and so you're just missing out on on that whole communion of persons that's that's involved with having a spouse, and so you're going to be malnourished. Well, this is untrue. Celibacy is not about being bereft of love, but embracing an extravagance of love that's available to those who are chosen. And I add, to those who are chosen, he gives, which is the second part, that celibacy is something that you choose, No, it's not you who have chosen me. It's I who have chosen you. And once he chooses us, he gives extravagant love in this life of the priesthood. And in giving us this love, which is astonishing, it transforms us into the the fathers he wants us to be. And that's the third final thing I would say. People think celibacy is about giving up spouse and children and therefore not being a father when in fact it's just the opposite. We become fathers in a very full sense, spiritual fathers, sharing in that spiritual fatherhood of God himself, God who is Father. All fatherhood is a shadow of the fatherhood of God. But that spiritual fatherhood offered in the priesthood is truly given in that life of celibacy. And this is how Jesus stands before us. Jesus stands before the Father as Son, but he stands before all of creation and all of us as Father as master and teacher. And priests are in persona Christi. They're being brought into a real fatherhood that Jesus offered to his disciples on the night before he died. Do this in memory of me. And so those three myths that you're walking away from love, you have to choose to be celibate like choosing malnourishment, and you're not going to be a father, these are all completely false. Couldn't be farther from the truth of the matter. Well, the only thing I wish is that we had more time. But the, again, the great gift 
and having vocation directors throughout the country who are available in every diocese is that option to be able to sit with someone and begin to discern all these different questions and to mm-hmm. help you grow in that relationship. How about some final words, some final advice, uh, Father Hazing? The first words I'd say is do not be afraid. And I'd say that to any man who is uh, considering a vocation, do not be afraid to explore this call that's probably growing and has been growing for some time. Don't be afraid to follow him or to pick up the phone and speak to your priest, your pastor, or speak to me at any point in time. All of that is done in, in real confidentiality so that that smoldering wick, that bruised reed isn't, isn't broken by a whole bunch of publicity, which is what uh, would happen in the case of our Lord if, he had, if everyone knew he was truly the Messiah, there would have been a crushing influx of folks. And so he, he lets that vocation grow, and we want to see it grow as pastors and spiritual fathers. And often things grow in silence, don't they? The mm-hmm. corn is growing right now really rapidly in July in yep. silence. And so we let that grow in confidentiality and silence. So be assured it's not advertised on a billboard when you step forward, but it's, it's put on the map of prayer for the priestly father who wants to see a man grow in that vocation and grow in strength and wisdom. And so don't be afraid to come forward. You'll have the time, you'll have the space, but most importantly, you'll have the guidance if you call a priest. And that is as true for a woman who is trying to Mm -hmm. discern her call, whether it's a vocation Mm -hmm. to motherhood or the single life or consecrated life or vowed religious life. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is as true that type of guidance that she can receive from the gift of the church. That's right. If not from a priest, from a a spiritual woman who's who's been trained in the the ways of the spiritual life to to be consulting someone else. And, And that good advice given in spiritual direction can help avoid a lot of the heartaches that can come if we try to do something on our own. So don't be afraid and, and be assured that you're not alone and you need not be alone on this journey. The helpful guide that we've been discussing is Jesus calling you to be a Catholic priest. And this is available how, Father? It's so available online at the National Conference of Diocesan Vocation Directors. If you were to Google that, it would find it under NCDVD, but it's, uh, it's available through that institute, that that group of vocation directors. A closing blessing. Truly. Heavenly Father, send forth your blessing upon all who have listened and all who are listening. Grant them courage and wisdom. Grant that all may come to realize your love for them and your call for each of the baptized. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing upon all who are listening in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to Is Jesus Calling You? with Father Paul Hazing. This series is based on Is Jesus Calling You to Be a Catholic Priest? A Helpful Guide, published by the National Conference of Diocesan Vocation Directors. To hear and or download this episode, or to learn more about what you've heard, go to discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of DiscerningHearts.com in cooperation with the Archdiocese of Omaha. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Join me next time for Is Jesus Calling You? with Father Paul Hazen.